Welcome to Radiate Radio, your international sound wave for sit-downs, podcasts and more. So stay tuned and follow our Instagram page for the latest. Everybody, this is Thomas Jardine back at again. You know what it is, Brits Election Watch here on Radiate Radio. And I'm joined again by a Mr. Elliot Underhill. Hey, Thomas, it's good to be here once again. This is the Now World, everybody. You're tuning in, and we're going to give you the latest in electoral news and what's been happening for the past couple days. Uh, yeah, so since the first round, uh, and the first round was a really interesting night for several reasons, which I'm sure we'll get into. But now we're sort of entering the real campaigning phase where it is tête-à-tête, two people, Macron and Le Pen, going at it. And we are going to see the results of that in 10 days on the 24th of April. After yeah the Easter weekend. Yes, definitely. Um, but before we get into that and what's going to happen for the second round, let's do a little bit of a post-mortem and autopsy on what happened in the first round. For sure. For so sure. let's go to the actual like numbers. What do we got here from the numbers, uh, Elliot? Well, so as we mentioned before in our first podcast, there were only three candidates of note. And the candidates who those were were uh, the incumbent president, Emmanuel Macron, who won 28% of the vote in the first round. His chief far-right rival, uh, Marine Le Pen, who won 23% of the vote, and then uh, firebrand left-winger Jean-Luc Mélenchon, who won 22% of the vote. Yeah, Everyone was below that. Surprising all of us, because we were like betting on who was going to actually get a- a- what sh- what amount of votes. And he kind of blew away about like all our expectations. He did, he did. He only got one last percent. If he got, I, mean, I was thinking about this, and I did the math. If you had all the other left-wing parties from Hidalgo to Ussel, I mean the, the communists, uh, the, uh, the the minor socialist parties, even Yannick Jadot, um, you know he would have out he would have outpaced Le Pen by a mile and Indeed, would have yeah. gotten to the second round. But yeah. he wouldn't have won. You, but that's the thing. You wouldn't win the second round. The thing that I think we also uh, – this really reflects, at least in my opinion, some of the things that we saw and heard from people when we were in northern France conducting our interviews. And we'll get more into that later yeah. on, as, as you've told me. But the there were a lot of people from those candidates who were thinking about saying, hey, you know, I think I'm going to go for Macron. He's the only one with a shot. And as a result – a lot of people probably made that choice in the ballot box. Yeah. As a result, he outstripped far beyond not only just what people thought he was going to get, but within the forecasted range yeah. of what any single pollster said he was going to get. And he did way better than 2017. Oh, amazingly so. Yeah, he did a really, really, Which is really surprising good job. because, like, we've been seeing that, like, he isn't, he is not popular among the French people. Not really, no. I mean, by 50, like, I mean, polls according to the Politico say that put him at, like, around. Uh, what is it? Fifty-four percent disapproval. I mean, you know, that's a sizable portion of the population. It's pretty high. I mean, you could also consider the fact that it just might be good for France. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> politicians and, and, aren't typically uh, very popular there. No, they're not. No. I mean, that's that's France, baby. And once we uh, the results came in and the candidates were giving their speeches and, uh, um, you know, reflecting on their their campaign trails, um, they would then endorse certain candidates or tell their voters where what is next. And what was interesting was seeing um, how uh, Mélenchon, um, another left-wing candidate, actually told their electorate to go. Um, we remember we watched you were we were watching that speech that uh, yeah we watched Mélenchon that. gave yeah we watched really that. good speech yeah, we watched that together with your with your other podcast host yeah yeah uh, my, <laughs> my other podcast yeah yeah we were we were watching it out and 
the thing that really struck me was, I mean, so first of all, you had a pretty standard set of uh, expected endorsements. Yeah. Uh, Zemmour, when he bowed out, uh, endorsed Marine Le Pen. Um, uh, Jadot and uh, Hidalgo uh, both endorsed Macron. Um, and then Mélenchon, who typically held uh, last election, he also, you know, he told voters that they would have to face their conscience. And he said, you know, I cannot tell you whom to vote for. But he gave a much stronger message uh, just a few nights ago when he spoke about the fact that they would have to face their conscience again. He could not tell them how to vote, but that they must not vote for Le Pen. And he made that point yeah. really, really clear. Which I've again, seen I think it multiple times multiple over. Times. Yeah, I think which is, which is you know, a, a very uh, good stance. So supposedly he is going to be conducting some own decisions within his uh, voter base as to how to uh, formally proceed, right? Whether to endorse, uh, whether to endorse a uh, vote blanche or whether to, uh, whether to, uh, sorry, or whether to endorse a vote for Macron. I think, and that's going to be uh, a really interesting thing because he is definitely the kingmaker this time. So you, you think he's going to actually, uh, make, actually make a decision in the future, whether to vote Blanche or, um, but, uh, oh, and just for uh, clarification, vote Blanche is, uh, is not, is going to the ballot box and just not filling the ballot. Yeah. It's intentionally voting for none of the above, which yeah. is, uh, you know, a, for certainly a very good way to register your protest and dissatisfaction with candidates. It's better than just abstaining yeah. because that way you're, you know, formally registered and you show that up to, you were displeased. Yeah, yeah. And you show up to the polls and they can actually like calculate and everything Indeed, yeah. instead so, of just not showing up. So supposedly that is Mélenchon's plan to have some sort of formal, you know, decision-making process whereby he will choose whether really? to wow. formally endorse Macron or to endorse a vote blanche. Um, the thing that is telling, at least about his voters, is the fact that, you know, he really did have to drive that point home. We discussed, um, the last time that I was on this podcast, we discussed the fact that Mélenchon's voters do share a lot of similarities with Le Pen, at least in terms of uh, their overall anti-globalist, anti-establishment goals. Well, also the, um, and, and also just based on policy, because I think yeah. it is, I'm not sure about the anti-globalism for Mélenchon voters, because some of them that we did talk about, they did have a positive uh, opinion of the European Union. Economically speaking. Economically yeah, speaking. Anti-globalist in that sense. Yes, but they would be, but also like they were, but what they did share a lot of in was the economic policy, particularly in the uh, the more like um, redistributive policies that in order to alleviate the current uh, shortage crisis that we're facing right now here in Europe. Yeah, supply chain problems are, are still, you know, existing all over the yeah. developed and developing worlds. And hell, I mean, like, just look at what's going on in Sri Lanka. Oh, for I mean, sure. That's, I mean, that's, that, it's not at that level here in Europe, but I mean, yeah. that's certainly the kind of problems that will eventually lead to problems like that. Let's hope that we don't see anything similar near the Elysee Palace. Uh, I, I mean, think, yeah, I hope not. I think that what we are still looking at here in terms of Mélenchon's voters is the fact that they are, as I said before, kingmakers, right? Yes. They are going to be the ones because they have a massive chunk of the vote, as we have seen very clearly, mm. right? They are going to be the ones who, you know, by and large, of course, with, you know, uh, you know, people who didn't vote in the first round, with people who voted for other candidates in the first round. Uh, but they are by far the biggest group that these candidates need to win over. Yes. Penn is going to try to do that with her economic message, right? Trying to say, well, look, I've moderated. Look, I support these left wing economic positions. Look, I support you on pensions. And McCorn is going to be doing it by saying, you know, we need to form another Republican front. We cannot let the far right win. Yes. You know, I'm going to be better than Le Pen on, you know, any number of things, including the European Union, immigration, so on. Yes. And one of the things actually that reminds me of like we were just talking about this right before we started recording uh, with the uh, to a uh, compromise on his uh, his flagship uh, policy of a uh, 
of uh, pensions and retirement. Indeed, yeah. And it's also, I think this is telling that, you know, Macron's voters, as we saw in this first round election, something that came out that wasn't necessarily expected was how much he is reliant on older voters. Yes. People yes. who are standing against sort of the, you know, older voters seem to be, or at least would appear to be, much less susceptible uh, than younger voters to these sort of extreme appeals of either the extreme left or the extreme right. Mm. And they have a great you know, deal for keeping Macron in power. So I think it's an interesting strategy on his yeah. behalf. Maybe he's just hoping that enough of them are over the 65 line that it won't, that yeah. it won't be too much of a problem. Well, I mean, he is going to try and, he is gonna try and walk back uh, yes. the 65 uh, uh, one and introduce a minimum state pension of 1,100 um, 1, years. Uh, 1, yes. Um, we'll have to see if he actually does it because, I mean, you know, it's politics. You're going to say what you need to say. And he was, and this was in the context in which he was uh, visiting a one of the poorest villages in in France, which was, you know, hardcore Le Pen territory. For sure. And they were like, "No, we don't want you here. You're not." And funnily enough, there's actually, oh yes. And one of the things I found incredibly funny about this, in in, in the in that context, was is that uh, Macron clum clumsily answered. Um, uh, to a woman who was objecting to school closures during a lockdown that that she did not live in the real world. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, in, in his defense, schools did open very, very quickly after they were closed. Yes. So he's sort of what he's doing there and it's, it's clumsy, right? Which, you know, I think it always is, you know, think about, um, uh, you know, you, you know, we're, we're both American, you know, look back at, uh, that famous debate, you know, between, uh, George HW Bush, Bill Clinton and Ross Perot, right. Where that one voter talked about, you know, how is the national debt, you know, affected you personally. It makes it so hard for me personally. Now, of course that was nonsense. And mm. George HW Bush, addressed it as such but bill clinton was you know sly right and he mm. you know definitely wanted to say oh well you know overspending is a massive problem for many of us and he you know he can he can bring it to that relatability debates are hard yes. to manage yourself in or public town halls at least and when macron is being called out by saying you know schools are closing he's trying to respond in a sort of wonkish intelligent way by saying what the facts are instead of trying to approach her you know directly yes and that like in, in this like Immediately, and this is going to hamper what, what's going to happen in, uh, as we go right now into the campaign stage of his campaign because he's not going to be able to shake off the current uh, rich man uh, persona that he has that a lot of voters have. And that is the real thing that, that he has to manage in order to get these left-wing voters because if they're not uh, liberal left uh, uh, leftists, they're um, left-wing or far leftists um, who he has to get. Because yes. he already has people like Hildago or Jadot and liberals and and progressives and yada yada people who land in this in the broadly center left who are okay exactly or you know uh economically liberal policy platform. exactly but he really needs to get the people who are left-wing socialists um communists even because it's france you know <laughs> For sure. yeah. um and, and saying like okay i'm gonna provide i'm gonna provide you know a more um uh emancipatory or progressive policy economic policy that that will appeal to you guys but also, it's a persona because they view him as a as a guy who got rid of the wealth tax. They view him as as a as a Rothschilds banker. They don't view him as a man of the people. The right wing the right wing views him that way too. And yes, they, exactly. And, and, and instead of overtoning instead of overtoning it with these sort of leftist stones, they you know use some uh, typical anti semitic anti yeah. dog whistles. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So yeah. I think the thing that we're really um, the thing that will be difficult for McCollum, and I think I might have mentioned this last time, but I, I might not have. So it, either way, it bears repeating. He is facing an unenviable task. He has to essentially convince people both that are way to his left, 
right? Mm. That he is the candidate they need to vote for. But at the same time, he also needs to convince people who are who are struggling to choose between him and Le Pen, who are yes. clearly then significantly to his right. Yes. So he needs to pull both of those groups in at the same time, and that is a really, yes. really difficult needle to thread. Yeah, and currently he's uh, you know he's going about the wrong way. I mean, obviously he has to hunt down voters and that are in uh, Le Pen's camp already geographically, and it's going to be. A, I mean, it's going to be an uphill battle. Yeah. I mean the. But speaking of the polls, I mean, his poll, the polls are tight, but so far they favor him. They're at 53% for Macron and 47% for Le Pen right now. Yeah, that's yeah, that's on average. The poll numbers have actually significantly stabilized for him about yes. where they were just before. So, And these are uh, the latest polls from April 13th. Indeed, yeah. So, But basically – there was a whole slate of polls, as you know, you know, as we both know, to our to our great frustration and increasing worry. Yeah. Uh, just as the polls were very much tightening, as we recorded our previous podcast, uh, there was the ban that went in on uh, the publishing and releasing of polls uh, for two uh, for two days until uh, the first round of the election was concluded, mm. so as to not sway voters. Uh, and that was something that uh, we so, for example, that probably that, that disguised clearly the continued meteoric meteoric rise of Menachel. Um But then also, you know. As we saw that release, uh, that you know, release of a whole slate of polls, consistently show Macron a few good points ahead of Le Pen. Sometimes yes. it slips down to within the margin of error, but we've only seen in the entire campaign, in the entire campaign, going back months and months and months, a single poll where mm -hmm. Le Pen has beat Macron. He still has the he he is he is still the person to beat. Yes, he is still the most statistically likely to win. That does not mean that he is going to win, and I don't think either of us feel comfortable, you know, declaring no. who is going to win. But it, currently, um, it is more likely that he will win. Yes, statistically speaking. Statistically, yeah. yes. Yeah, the and is, and and we may see. So we may even see like another repeat of 2017, where he beats out Le Pen, and Le Pen actually could get could get lower as in 2017, since they predicted her around like 40 percent, but then she got 33 percent. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I mean. Yeah, Who knows? It's, it's still, I mean, it's still it's all up in the air, folks. I mean, it's still yeah. very much up in the air. I think the thing that for me is um, so on one level, those stabilizing poll numbers are are consoling for uh, for for liberals like myself, mm. uh, who who would like to see Macron continue in office. But I think there's also a degree of worry in that people like me certainly expected his numbers to rise more significantly following the first round when their <laughs> choice was clearly between him and Le Pen. Yes. I think one of the reasons we might not be seeing that is something that was a cause for joy for both of us on yes. the actual night, which is that he he did quite much he did quite better than uh, Le Pen and quite better than expected in yes. the first round. Yes, right. So more people might be thinking this is in the bag. Manu's got it. Uh, yeah, when, you know that's certainly not the case. So it's kind of like I guess like uh, it's gonna bat it's gonna be a, be a blowback in a way. Very possible. I mean, he has to be cautious because I think one of the problems with Macron is that he's sort of. Um, he is, you know, like a, like another president that that you and I both know and love. Uh, he is definitely gaff prone, uh, and I think in a way that he's he's, <laughs> he's prone to a very specific type of gaff, though, um, which is this sort of elitist, out of touch comment, right? You know, something that will uh, anger voters because he says things, you know, uh, in this very you know self assured way. Yes. Right. Even when he's pausing to think about things, like talking about, for example, uh, you know, the quote unquote, you know, teaching of LGBT LGBT topics in schools, right. I don't know, you know, what that necessarily means in this context, right? But he was like, oh, you know, I think uh, elementary school, secondary school is a little bit too early for that, right? You know, and then, of course, you know, the, the expected left-wing backlash because, you know, it, he sounds like he's, you know, so certain about uh, talking about an entire group of people in society like they're, you know, like they have a plague or something. So I think that it's, you know, 
it is going to be very difficult for him to continue his, mm. um, you know, uh, his gaff-free lead. And I think it's going to be extra important that McCollum sort of solidify what his message is, right? Because if he keeps trying to, I think it's good to, you know, go to Le Pen's home turf, right? Express that little bit of humility, right? Mm. You know, talk to people who are not going to vote for him, right? And, you know, try to convince them otherwise. It's not going to work, but it's it's good. It's a good yeah, image. Yeah, theater. But he can't, he can't, continue by chasing Le Pen on issues. That just doesn't work. We saw that in Hungary, right? And we see that pretty much everywhere else. If you chase your opponent on an issue that they are making their signature bit, in Le Pen's case this time, cost of living, right? Mm. You're not going to win. He simply cannot outpromise someone who is not in office and is likely not to be in office, mm. statistically. Um, he just simply can't do that. So he needs to be able to define what is he going to do for France? You know, how is he going to lead? And I think one of the important things is he needs to be able to lay out how he's different than her in foreign policy, right? And not just, you know, talk about Putin over and over again, right? He needs to emphasize exactly why Le Pen's planned foreign policy debacles, as we can see from her platform, are going to be bad for France, including moves uh, as in, you know, legal, the, the introduction of legal discrimination against foreign workers, including people from the European Union, which is very much illegal yeah no that's that's insane i thought i didn't know about that part no it's in i assumed it would just be you know uh migrants from uh developing countries you know no 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 no. she she is uh her her racism knows little bounds uh so it was from the uh, atlantic council right yeah so her foreign policy positions are you know pretty explicitly in terms of uh how she wants to act uh in you know vis-a-vis france and the european union the reintroduction of border checks you know with countries that uh, France borders in the EU. Okay. Right. The, you know, the wow. reimposition. Jesus. The re- so getting out of Schengen. Oh yeah. I remember well, she so, talked about that. Yeah. So it's not explicit. It's not explicitly a, de- a formal departure from Schengen, which is what she promoted in earlier, um, in earlier election camp. Yeah. I don't like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, as someone who likes going to France, uh, and doesn't like I mean, having my passport checked every time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like getting the stamps. That's all I like. I do like the stamps. I like I'd the like stamps, them. but you know, as, as a believer in the European union who believes that, you know, borders should be state lines. You know, I'm not someone who's necessarily uh, in in favor of this. Um, That being said, uh, it would essentially what she would do as France's leader in the European Council, which, you know, to people, you know, like me who are an observer, uh, an observer of this with a focus on the EU lens is the important thing anyway, you know, regardless of pension policy. Um, She poses a unique threat in her possible alignment with nations like Slovenia, Hungary, Poland, sort of, you know, this uh, illiberal bloc. Yeah, uh, where she's able to, uh, you know, or you know, even beyond that, you know, Visegrad more generally. Yeah, right, the uh, what's it called? To... The uh, the Warsaw Budapest axis, right? Yeah, well, that well, I mean, that that particular axis is grumbling these days. But we will have another podcast about that maybe. Well, I mean, will later. I mean, I don't. I'm not sure. If, I mean, I'm not. Is it crumbling though? Very much. Yeah. So essentially, what you're looking at. So this is this is obviously. But I don't think this will get make it in. Um, essentially, what you're seeing in the European Union to have a very quick quick break to EU watch. Uh, is EU, that... This is welcome to EU Watch, everybody. Welcome, thank you for tuning in to our, our second show within a show. <laughs> Essentially, uh, to, to give you the too long didn't read on um, on Poland and Hungary, what you're seeing is that uh, because of Viktor Orban's very open flirting with Russia, as well as his refusal to allow uh, any sort of weaponry uh, guided to Ukraine to move through Hungarian territory, you're seeing Poland, uh, you know, uh, you are seeing Polish politicians be more and more open, especially Andrzej Duda. Uh, about Hungary's, uh, you know, role as Poland's ally and how it's very much overstepping its bounds. So you're yeah. definitely seeing a, a crumbling of that axis. Um, France but would that would like, be rejuvenated if France were to come into the fray very with possibly. Le Pen? Very possibly. Now the good news is that people like, uh, you know, people like Le Pen and then Duda Orban, you know, they would be 
uh, it would be terrible for the EU, undoubtedly. Uh, I, I do not want to understate the risk. Yeah, at the I same think it time, would pretty much spell the end of the EU. I don't think, I, and I think that's the thing that is overstatement. I think that it would not spell the end of the EU, it would spell stagnation in hmm. the EU. There would be, um, you know, there's, there's, certain, uh, there's a certain degree of things that France can do from the inside, um, but I think that Le Pen is not, especially after she's pitched her entire campaign on moderating. Um, I definitely think that she will pick fights with the EU, but I think in the case of, you know, if she doesn't have her majority in the legislature, if she isn't, you know, um, joined with uh, other continued national conservative leaders, because mm-hmm. as we've seen, you know, the the axis in, in the EU over, uh, you know, the past few years has actually you know, swung left, not right in terms of who's in charge, right? Mm-hmm. The Social Democrats have taken, uh, you know, several countries, right? But most notably Germany, yeah, right? Yeah. And more left-wing parties or center-left parties have joined coalitions uh, elsewhere. Um, so, you know, you know, what we're seeing here um, in terms of Le Pen as a threat to the European Union itself, uh, I don't want to understate the fact that she is a threat, but I don't believe that it's accurate to say that she would necessarily destroy the whole EU uh, on her own. Yeah, automatically. Um, I mean, it's like the moment that she doesn't get into office, the EU is not going to just like, you know, dissolve itself. No, exactly. And I think that now I, uh, I don't doubt that the French election is part of the EU's decision-making. I think a good example of this is a potential oil embargo in Russia. Oh, yeah. People in the European Union are aware that what is important right now is getting Macron, you know, over the threshold, and they don't want an embargo that will rapidly rise cost of living in an election that has been determined by cost of living. Yeah, because the moment moment they do that, boom, that gives Le Pen, like, I guess, like, Five poll points, I yeah, guess. Well, depending how much gas prices rise. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it is, it's definitely... I so, mean, we're already starting to feel a pinch here. Sure. So, Like, just, my rent went up because of because of fucking gas prices. <laughs> well, I'm sorry to hear it. Pardon my language, everybody. I mean, this <laughs> yeah. is a family-friendly podcast where we talk about politics. <laughs> we talked about politics and our rent prices. Yeah, exactly. Welcome to NPR News. <laughs> we have two focuses here. Yes. To circle back to Le Pen as a threat to, yes. as a threat to the EU. Because no. this election does... As, yeah. I mean, this is a whole thing that we, we want to... It, uh, illustrate why we're talking about this in the Netherlands is that elections like these have geopolitical effects. Indeed, yeah. So Le Pen is definitely a threat. Uh, I would not say that she is necessarily an existential threat. There's a limited degree of policies that she will uh, pursue with a weak or a non-existent majority in the National Assembly of the Senate. Uh, there are a limited extent of policies that she can even pursue uh, meaningfully, independently, especially if uh, her uh, policy proposals for the EU are not going to be uh, gone along by the rest of the member states, uh, yes. which is you know unlikely to begin with. But even domestically, I mean, you, she yeah. will she will she would get even more uh, backlash than Macron has. Exactly. But I but another thing I would see that what would happen if she became in power if she she came into power would be the end of of assistance to Ukraine, and and you would see and the renewal of ties with Russia yes. and the end of like of a united front uh, with uh, of western countries against Russia. Indeed, that is something to be very much worried about. Yes, because I mean that's the only thing that's really that that you know has been hurting Russia besides from the Ukrainians uh, who have been fighting Russia them by by themselves is the aid that the west has given Ukraine and the economic sanctions. And that's only been successful because they've all collectively decided, okay, we're going to do this and we're going to commit. Yeah. And once you, once you start, once you get a crack in there, you're get, I think you're going to start seeing more cracks. Yeah. The EU as a geopolitical actor has had a rare moment of genuine unity, uh, yeah. even purchasing, you know, military equipment for itself, which is something that, you know, isn't, isn't common yeah. uh, to be given to the Ukrainians. Um, I think what you will see under a French presidency is likely, you know, the renewed status quo, uh, you know, that ended only in, you know, I was incorrect last, uh, last, 
episode I stated it was 2014, it was in 2009, uh, you would see a resumed status quo uh, where France would no longer be in the um, integrated command of NATO. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that is something that uh, would be problematic for the Western Alliance more generally. You would also see Le Pen be more comfortable taking, uh, if not explicitly pro-Russia, she's been, you know, dabbling in some more anti-Putin stances, uh, if not explicitly pro-Russia, yeah. certainly ones that are more uh, this, you know, idea of neutrality. Well, right? I think that she's only had to, like, downplay uh, her Putin relations because, because of how like you know problematic it would be for election because you saw what happened to Zamor. Zamor was unapologetically pro Russia and then and then like that yeah wiped out wiped out seven percent and ended him exactly and I think that there is something to be said uh, for the fact that both uh, Mélenchon and Le Pen in the final days of the first round both of which are you know quite pro Russia in their politics um, yes. have you know definitely outrightly Mélenchon a lot more than Le Pen to his credit you know yeah disavowed uh Vladimir Putin disavowed uh actions especially in the wake of the Ukraine war and the massacre in Bucha yeah uh, so I think that that is something that um she is willing to be moved on but at the same time I don't believe so she is no longer for example um this adamant pro-Putin actor yeah but she definitely would be a thorn in the side of any real Western alliance. And very possibly she would spell the end of it. Uh, yes. At least in terms of right now, in the same way that it has been constructed against Russia to benefit you. Yeah. But I think it would be heightened once you get, when, if she were to get into power. For sure. Because that way, that I mean, then she could be like, ah, yes, uh, Russia has been a friend of the French people and we want to, we're against Mar American imperialism and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I, I don't know how how open she's going to be in, in, well, in the sort she of anti-American imperialism. Front well, she would have, that, well, that she would have to... Well, I mean, yeah, because that's like kind of like a uh, that's kind of like an old thing in in like a French politics. But anyway, going we've been going the, the on Gaullist instincts. Yeah, the Gaullist instincts. But anyway, we've been going on for too long uh, um, with just like talking everything. Um, but yeah, so generally, we want to just talk about in in summary for those who uh, may have been kind of like lost in the in in the uh, miasma of what we were talking about. The main thing is is that. The question of left-wing voters, where are they going to go? That's that's a big question. Are they going to go for Le Pen? Are they going to go for uh, Macron? We don't know. I, we, we think that a lot of them might might go uh, – some of them might go for Mélenchon. Some of them might go for – go uh, Vaublanche. That means abstain. Um, and some of them may even go for Le Pen because, as we said last episode, they're not um, all of Macron. Not, they're not necessarily Mélenchon's base. In the second case uh, – Macron's good performance um, in the first round could backfire in the second round, and he's been not doing well in the campaign against Le Pen. And Le Pen could be is a is in Le Pen and how she affects uh, she could affect the European Union would be very problematic and damaging to any Western alliance um, in in the light of the crisis of the conflict in Ukraine. Um, additionally, uh, yeah, so that's generally what we talked about. Uh, for those just to recap of what we were saying and now we would like to actually go back to uh, what we did um, with our survey and everything oh yeah it'll, yes it'll be great to have a to have an update I so think, on the um... for those for for those who may have may have forgotten we went to Lille uh, about a couple weeks ago um, and interviewed 92 people yeah we um, and we got a and it was a fascinating experience we went everywhere from the center city uh, to working class communities, to a middle class and upper class communities, yep. interviewed with everyone from all walks of life, refugees, new parents, um, youth, the elderly, uh, middle class, working class, 
Um, yes. As, as we mentioned before, the most French man to ever exist. Yes, we, most we did, French did, man smoking did, a pipe. Yes, a pipe, <laughs> turtleneck, pinstripes, trench coat, he had the whole thing going Yes, on. I mean, he didn't have a beret, which disappointed a lot of it people. Just, it, disappointed, <laughs> it disappointed me too. I had a beret in my bag. I should have given it to him you, instead. Oh my God, you should have. I should um, give it to him and say, uh, any, can anyway, I take to, a photo with you? To go, to, go back, to go back to where we were. So um, we went to three communes. So that was Lille, the city center, yep. Luce, the working class community, and, Lam- and, and uh, Lambert South, with the middle class, upper class community. Yeah, very, well, I think it was a bit mixed. I, I think it was a bit mixed, at least more mixed than I was expecting looking just purely at income data. I think yeah, once we and went Google to Maps. It, yeah, it, once we actually went there, we were like, okay, you know, this is this is a bit more of a mixed suburb. But also, we went on a Sunday, right? Yeah. So it was very, very quiet. We did not encounter as many people as you're hoping to, but we still managed to get uh, an even uh, amount of people interviewed in, in each. So let's actually just briefly go over the numbers. Yeah. Um. So... So uh, let, let's let's talk about what happened in 2017. For, for sure. For yes. Sure, for sure. So for Lille, uh, Mélenchon um, won 92. Uh, sorry, not 92. <laughs> 92 percent. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It's like, He's done tidal wave. He's done great. Yeah. Uh, so for Lille, back in 2017, uh, Mélenchon won 29.92 percent. Um, for Macron, he won 25.2 uh, percent. And Filon, which was a center-right Les Républicains candidate, same party as Valet Pécresse, uh, won uh, 14.41%. And then in, 20, and, uh, in 2022, uh, this year, Mélenchon blew out everybody with a 40.5%. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I was surprised, too. It's just like a blowout. And then Macron, kind of the same with uh, 25.6%. Manchester was 0.6 or yeah 0.6 percent. Oh, we were actually right in the money there. Yeah, really. Yeah, wow. we, we yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna get to our we're gonna, we're our gonna go over to our numbers after you run through. And then Le Pen won in a, a le, with 11.8 percent. Yeah. So the, what do we get, Elliot? So the fun the fun thing about interviewing people was you know the types of conversations that we'd have, right? Yes. As a result, um, you know, first of all, let's go over this before we you know <laughs> explain exactly yeah. how you know we knew how incredibly wrong our numbers were going to be because we had a very small sample size. Yes. Right. You know, 92 people is not a lot of people. Yeah. Right. And this um, was across communes, not per commune. Exactly. No, 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 not per commune. So I think, you know, we had, there was also, you know, a degree, degree of sample bias, right? You know, we were talking earlier about how gas prices were a problem. We only interviewed two people getting out of cars, right? Because it's typically not a good form yes. to walk up to someone approaching their car and say, hey, <laughs> talk to me. <laughs> so uh, what I should have done is I've got to go into the middle of the street and demand that cars stop and be like, hey, can I interview, sir? What For are sure. the main problems that are affecting you in this French election? And just get run over. Yeah, <laughs> there are. There are a lot of uh, young, strange Americans who are stopping my car. I'd like, I'd like whatever president will stop that. <laughs> just, 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 just some American, <laughs> just like running down the front of the road in the middle of loose, just going like, "Hey, talk to me, you frauds!" <laughs> no, I'm kidding. You're, you're a menace, Thomas. <laughs> so, anyway, all that being said, uh, in Lille, uh, so, so to get back to, it, we had huge problems obviously with uh, selection bias and we knew that but we and weren't, not yeah. everybody wanted to talk to us for sure but we weren't interested in doing a you know a perfectly accurate survey we wanted to talk to people and, and get the feel on the ground right? yeah um so in lille the biggest group of people were undecided uh and that's actually going to be a bit my of best a can my favorite candidate my favorite undecided. uh yeah his, his, his great pension policies um, yeah yeah exactly we're, we're going to see that uh, across all three yeah. communes actually we, yeah he's undecided a, he was is the like highest the, group of people 
it is a perfect centrist yeah. party. You know, they don't oh, yes. know what they even what they're even voting for. Right? <laughs> Um, uh, this isn't in terms of uh, most to least for this case. I just wanted to mention it because it's also important. Uh, we had a 10% rate of apathy. People who not only said they didn't decide, uh, they haven't decided yet, but people who said that they did not care, uh, which was you know, yeah. uh, always always a little bit interesting to hear, but we did hear it about at a rate of 10% in Lille. And then the biggest group is actually not Mélenchon, despite mm. his massive uh, landslide, but actually Macron. But at the same time, we got it pretty accurately. Macron had 24% of, uh, yeah, of wow. our respondents. Uh, Mélenchon was immediately on his heels with 19%. Uh, and then we had a three-way tie at the very end with Pécresse, Timor, and Jadot, each getting 5% of the votes and yeah. the people we surveyed. Yeah. So uh, let's move on to Luce. So in Luce, um, this was one of the areas that I actually, when I was doing my initial research, was like, we have to go there. Mm-hmm. And it was even where we stayed in our hostel. This was a real kicker. In 2017, Le Pen beat out Mélenchon with a with 26.92%, while Mélenchon got 26.90%. That is a 0.02% difference. Otherwise, meaning two votes. Yeah, two votes flipped a commune. It was it literally was two votes actually. We we, we went back yeah. and we looked at we looked at France uh, yeah. twenty four and, and their their numbers for each different commune and it was literally yeah a literally two, two vote decision literally a two vote decision which is amazing considering that Luce is not actually all that small. Yeah, so um, this is why every vote counts. It's I mean. a, a major suburb of Lille, which is itself the tenth biggest yes. city in France. And then and then Macron uh, got a, a ten a ten point thirty three percent at the end, uh, in third place. Yeah, and so what we got for twenty twenty two was Mélenchon. Blowing on everybody again with a 32%. Yeah, that is, well, it's also definitely a big showing as to how much farther he was ahead of Le Pen. Yes. And this was, and this is interesting. And then Le Pen uh, was in second place with uh, 24.1%, doing worse than 2017, and Macron uh, actually doing better with 23.1%. Right on our heels. Yes. Yeah, Sorry, that's 0.1%. I think that's 0.10%. It was from Bloom, I have to be honest with you. The 2022 numbers were from Bloomberg, and it was just it said point uh, gave like only one de- yeah, number. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's all right. It's not it's not uniform data, but yeah. it, but it's still accurate data, which is what's important. Yes. And, and so, what do we get, Lally? So we get, and number one was once again undecided. Uh, they should uh, win the president. I don't know why they don't win the presidency with a whopping 23 percent. Wow. Undecided. Uh, we had a much higher apathy rate in Luce. Again, you know, it's a relatively poor commune. Yeah. Um, with uh, 19% of people uh, being totally apathetic, including our two hosts, which I found uh, particularly curious. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So then the the, the biggest category was Menachon with, and what did he get in uh, 32%? In 2022. Well, we are accurate again, 33%. Wow. Politico should hire us for, yeah. for poll polls. Except for the fact that we completely missed every single Le Pen voter. We did, <laughs> we did, uh, we did encounter, however, Macron voters with 19% and yeah. compared with 2022. Uh, t- uh, 23. Okay, yes. Yeah, so, yeah, so relatively accurate as well, actually. So 19% of the people we talked to said they were voting for President Macron. Uh, and then uh, 6% of people, actually, and this was a little bit uh, odd for me, uh, uh, went with uh, Valérie Pécresse of the Republicans, yes. which I think is, a, is, is an interesting choice, considering I believe that she only got, um, I think, what was it? Was it 5% um, national? I can, I, can, I can pull, yeah, she got yeah, 5% in sure. the national election. So uh, should we move on to uh, Lambazar? Uh, so in Lambazar. Lambazar. Uh, this was a, uh, you know, it was actually a nice place. I would like to live there. For sure. Lovely. Yeah, lovely place. Very quiet, a suburb. Um, 
a bit too car oriented, maybe for my liking. Definitely more walkable than the other ones. The wheels, oh yeah, the loose wheels, was terrible for cars. And this was a no, real, it was terrible yeah. because of cars. Yeah, and a real example of selection bias in Lambaza, there were a lot of these weird little gated communities. Yeah, we noticed it felt and and actually when we walked into some of the the newer developed regions, it felt very much like. Uh, an American cul-de-sac. It did. Which, I mean, so neither of us really spent a lot of time and there were even like in America, American, but still very weird. And there were even like American cars there, yes. like Fords and stuff like that. Yes. And it was just like, whoa. Yes. What, you li- and it's like, you live in a suburb. Yeah. You don't need a truck. <laughs> exactly. It was, it was very, it was very, it was strange and at the same time, oddly comforting. Uh, that being said, uh, Lambaza was a fascinating place, and their uh, results in 2017 were actually pretty clear cut. Yes. So it was it was uh, Macron with a 30.43 percent, um, Filon, that's a center right candidate again from Les Républicains, with 27.25 percent, and then Mélenchon uh, with 17.11 percent, and then 2022 Macron. Did way better actually this time with 30, uh, 39.7%. Mélenchon with 21.3%. Le Pen um, uh, with uh, 11.7%. And I think it's important to adding in fourth place because we've talked to quite a few of them. Jadot, uh, that's a Green Party candidate with uh, 7.8%. Mm, yeah. So that is uh, actually pretty much completely different from what we got. Okay. But nevertheless, uh, number one was, of course. Yannick Jadot, <laughs> not undecided for once. Uh, the people uh, of Lambaza decided firmly for the guy who got, like, what, 7% in the actual vote in 2022? Uh, 7% in Lambaza, yeah. but I think nationwide he got, what did he get? Uh, oh, he got something like 4.6%. Yeah, five, yeah, 4.6. Okay, 4.6%. Yeah. Yeah. So, which means that we... <laughs> Way better than the, uh, the workers' struggle, yeah, which... So, uh... Well, the workers struggle to vote for them. Uh, <laughs> the words of our friend, Aaron. Um, the... Yannick Jadot, uh, we overpredicted him by uh, over a factor of three, I believe. So seven percent in the actual version. Yes. Uh, in loose in twenty twenty two. Factor then, of three. I mean, that's a factor of like twenty. <laughs> and then twenty, and then twenty three percent in. Uh, no, I mean we we overpredicted him. Oh yeah, fact, we overpredicted him. Uh, and then we predicted he would have twenty three percent again in our poll, which is you know clearly uh, <laughs> again selection bias. Yes. Again, clearly we really uh, uh, have an appeal with the, with the green voters. Yes. Uh, and then number two was a tie actually between Macron and undecided yes um again you know undecided really how far he has fallen as a as a candidate yeah i mean i'm i'm really hoping that he can bring up with the uh, the ambiguous uh, program again you know for sure and, for sure. and the uh, obscure uh policy uh, uh policies uh, that he would actually implement yeah the uh, the existential malaise has always been a big winner in france yes uh so both people who were undecided and people who were voting for macron uh, clocked in at 19% of uh, our estimate um, and then uh, apathy again because I like to put apathy just next to undecided to get mm. a clear image uh, had only five percent. It was the the least apathetic commune that we visited. Yeah, but I think is... that's the reason why. But I think the reason why because we were there on Sunday. We, yeah, that's fair. We were there on Sunday, so there were fewer people out and about. You know, uh, I don't know necessarily if that correlates. <laughs> if you're if you're if you're going out on Sunday, you're mm. uh, more likely to vote. And then who is in third place? Uh, Jean Luc Mélenchon with a fourteen percent of the vote. Nice. And then after that, it is a two-way tie uh, for last uh, with Eric Zemmour uh, and Le Pen at ten percent. Yes, each. because uh, Le Pen, uh, we only we were only we, able we to talk. Our, we encountered our last uh, our, Le, our Le Pen voters at the very end. At the very yes. end, all the voters who we talked to said they were going for Le Pen. Yes, but it was uh, otherwise a very uh, Le Pen-free uh, tour, which I found fascinating. Yeah, it was even and even loose, even in Lille. Yeah. Most I think I think the thing was is that. 
I think this is my theory. Zamora supporters um, are more outspoken than Le Pen supporters. Yeah, I think Le- but the the remarkable thing is I, I think that might be different today, just because it's now that we're past the first round. Oh well, yeah, they it lost. Is, it, is, it, is, it, is, it is a much more binary choice. No, I don't, I don't mean that they wouldn't be outspoken. I mean that Le Pen voters would be more outspoken. Is in saying like now that we're just about to face it. Those who are voting for Le Pen are likely to be a little bit more open about the fact, given that they're in half of society. Yes. So, um, so yeah, I think that that's something that we're going to have to watch out for, though. Yes. And actually, I did want to tell the viewers one story of like when we were going, when we were, uh, you know, doing going about our interview. Um, we were actually we were walking down a, a uh, we were, when we were walking through a uh, Um yeah. and we came across these two families yeah. um, that were walking down the sidewalk. Yes. 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 And so on the fa- the family on the left side of the sidewalk, with and, and both, and it, and it was funny because yeah. they had the same formation. You had the two women with the strollers in the front, and then the two uh, husbands in the in the back with carrying their babies and everything. Yeah, you know, it was they were they were young, beautiful families, right? We were really big on interviewing young families. We thought yes. that was something that was very important. Yes, and we even interviewed the babies, and they always said the. Uh, they were either the, voting for the ecologists or the Trotskyists. Strong, strong, <laughs> strong opinions for their age, but it, it means that I have. Yeah. They, they said, they, I mean, the youth is very left wing. <laughs> the youth is opinionated, let's yes. say that. Uh, Even three year olds vote for Trotskyists. Yeah, again, so all that being said, all that being said um, <laughs> when we talked to this couple, uh, the remarkable thing about them was it was, I have no idea how they're friends. Um, one couple were ardent Jadot supporters, right? They were big on the ecology, right? They were big on climate. Yes, and the other couple to the right of them, actually, because they're on both. Because yeah, they were ironically on the left and the right of the of the, of sidewalk. the sidewalk that we were walking on. Hardcore Zamoa voters. Yes, uh, to the farthest right you can go. Yeah, talking about uh, protecting our civilization, French identity. I really wonder how they're friends. I think that's something that like, because I mean, I'm friends with some conservatives, but I'm yes. not friends with people who are like talking about like <laughs> banning the name Mohammed or something yes. like, crazy like that. I. Hey yeah. man, politics makes odd bedfellows of us all. Yeah, they must be the also, funniest, the oddest bedfellows of them all. <laughs> I, yeah, that's yeah. Wow. <laughs> I don't want to be there for the dinner party uh, when uh, <laughs> on the first round. Um, but they, they, I think that was that was a particular. Uh, I think that was one of the odder uh, interviews we had. But at the same time, you know, everyone was uh, very friendly. Um, I think Lambeza was also interesting because it was the person. So it was it was the uh, the commune, as we said, that was the least apathetic, right? We're, yes. We also saw the broadest range of candidates. Yes. We even um, we even got some. I mean, we we're able to include it into the uh, yeah, statistics we, because they were just so small. We, but I think they were also they formally said they were undecided. Actually. Yes. They said they but were they would be considering uh, Puto Puto, which was the uh, the anti capitalist party. Yeah. The, the, uh, specifically, I think I think Puto is Trotskyist, right? He is. I think it's like a post trotskyist it's, it's really remarkable. I think to me, I'm I'm sorry for those viewers who are you know less familiar with the, with, with the with the intricacies of of um, left wing political ideology. Uh, he, also... uh, okay. I mean, he is. I don't think he's specific. Uh, he's specific ideology. Yeah, but so so I think he's just sort of belonging to the broader anti capitalist. I would say I would say syndicalist, which is basically you know uh, advocating is just like a, just like more like a radical a unionist. Uh, trade unionist um, yeah. ideology. To our listeners who are not, again, familiar with the intricacies of uh, of, of uh, radical left uh, economic thought, listen um, to my podcast. Yeah, listen, listen, listen to Ideological obscure. That is the only reason that that I uh, that I know or care about these. Uh, but <laughs> for you, it's Twitter. Oh, oh God! Uh, don't don't bring up don't bring up, <laughs> don't bring up the hell site. Uh, so I think 
all in all, uh, we had a really interesting time in uh, in France talking to uh, the people uh, to whom we were speaking. I think we had a really uh, interesting set of interviewees. We had a really interesting set of interviews uh, with pretty much everyone who cared to speak with us. I think it was it was a very um, it was a very good time, and I think that we are uh, both of us looking very much forward yes. uh, to the second round. So I should. So we've been taking a intentionally meandering view to this uh, episode, and I think you know we, we wanted to make this one. We wanted to try something new and just yeah. do something that's more chill, more relaxed, something and more, you can have under the background. Yeah, exactly. Something that you can listen to while while you're actually going to the the polls if you're French. Yeah, I think so. Let's take all the meandering that we've done and let's uh, draw summarize. A few, let's, yeah. yeah, let's drop a few. A few Too lazy, didn't listen. Give me the mean potatoes, Elliot. Let's drop it to the end. All right. Well, so essentially, the first round was uh, better than expected for Macron and much better than expected for Mélenchon, uh, and then a little bit worse than expected for Le Pen. As a result, Mélenchon's voters are going to be the kingmakers. They are yes. going to be the ones who are really going to decide where the selection goes, whether they abstain or vote for Macron. Over or vote for Le Pen. I think it's the question is whether the majority of them will go for either one of them. Exactly. Which will be deciding because they all will vote. All, different factions of them will go undecided, Macron, Le Pen, but which one will be the biggest? Exactly. That's going to be the kicker. I think you can expect a high abstention rate from them. I also suspect that there will be a, a higher break for Macron than Le Pen. So, and then moving on, uh, you identified uh, that the as the campaign season has started, Macron has spent a good bit of his time in these you know poorer northern towns near where we were uh, trying to convince people who otherwise would not vote for him to vote for him and a lot of the message that he's been going with is sort of uh backtracking slightly on some of his more economically liberal proposals including uh a change in uh, pension yes. and the introduction uh in the pension age and including the introduction of minimum pension yes and we then will say we then we talked about like how uh um that le pen wouldn't be completely destructive for the eu but would be de- generally mm-hmm. problematic not only just for the eu but also for a western uh united front against russia um, as well as further integration in, of the European project and global integration. Yeah, and the and the implications that a Le Pen presidency would have for uh, the Western alliance yes. and the war in Ukraine, in, in with the specific context of the war in Ukraine. Yes. And then lastly, we spoke about our um, our time in France, who we interviewed, uh, and the uh, results of the communes uh, that we. Um, and the results of the communes that we visited, both in terms of uh, their results for our interviews and their actual uh, voting results. From 2017 and 2022. Thomas, what would what would you say the biggest uh, or the most notable in your mind uh, changes out of all the changes we discussed in Lille, Luce, and Lampaza? I think what the biggest change is, is that seeing how how Macron has actually done better than expected in these in these areas, particularly like in Luce and also like blowing out in Lambo South, uh, doing the same kind of in Lille and how much like, you know, the, the left has has done better in these areas. I think I think in this you you can hold me to this. Um, this might give an advantage to Macron. I'm not sure whether it's going to get, be an entirely big advantage, but I think that that there is something there. I think people are going to be more wary um, and more concerned. They may think it's in the bag, but I think, you know, people are going to go more for Macron instead of Le Pen. Yeah. And I actually, their margins are so close right now that by the time uh, we talk, it's one of the reasons that I've been so, you know, uh, slow with writing about it. Uh, as you, as you know, I write for uh, another student organization yes. magazine here. And we'll, and we'll share this on, we'll share his article, your article on Instagram. Thank you very much. Yeah. Of course. Um, yep. Thank you everybody for tuning in. Thank Indeed. you for coming on again, Elliot. Oh, I'm, I'm always happy to come on and talk to you. Yeah. Um, yes. And uh, thank you for tuning in. This has been the Now World with your host, Thomas Sharding, and see you at the polls. Bye-bye.